0: Greetings, today's date is April 30th, 2022, and welcome to the fifth episode of the Commodore Chronicles Podcast. In today's episode, we'll have a karate deathmatch special between Y R Kung Fu and International Karate, and also Review Hessian by Covert BitOps. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy. Back to the Commodore Chronicles, my name is Adam, bringing you C64-centric news, reviews, hardware guides, and most of all, your feedback. And that feedback is much of what drives the Commodore Chronicles. If you want to get in the fold and contribute, listen till the end of the episode where next episode's games will be announced. Subsequent posts will be made to Twitter.com forward slash C64 Chronicles as well as Facebook.com forward slash C64 Chronicles where feedback can be submitted. You can also submit feedback via email at CommodoreChronicles at gmail.com. And now that we have those details out of the way, let's check out some news. News item number one, VCF Midwest has been announced. September 10th through the 11th, 2022. The VCF Midwest and E Triple C Fest returns from the pandemic ashes. I've tried to go every year since 2018, but my plans have been foiled every time. 2018, I was ill. 2019, it conflicted with other vacation plans. 2020 was canceled due to the obvious reasons. And 2021, I had COVID. I hope 2022 fares better for me personally. So, get more info of VCF Midwest at vcfmw.org. News item number two, Amorot has received a re-release for the Commodore 64. Amorot was originally released in 1987 on the C64, the ZX Spectrum, Atari 8-bit, Amstrad CPC, and MSX computers, all except... The C64 version featured isometric action, and they were all really well-reviewed and well-praised. But the C64 version was buggy and awful. But no longer. The team at Elsium has released an improved version with new music, isometric graphics, and improvements for running the game on the Super CPU, Turbo Chameleon, and Ultimate 64 accelerators. You can download the new version of Amarote at elsium.itch.io. News item number three, Yeti Mountain, gets a teaser on Retro Gamer Nation. Retro Gamer Nation is both a great YouTube channel and a mostly Commodore-centric review website. He's been given an exclusive look at a new title from Russell Mills called Yeti Mountain, which is an interesting mashup between an adventure RPG game and a ski-free-like simulator. The main character is investigating the disappearance of a friend at a ski resort, which has questionably been deemed as an accident. I'm interested to see where this game is going, so if you want to check out the video coverage, check out Retro Gamer Nation's YouTube channel. News item number four, hands-on gaming podcasts and 64Ks, is Commodore 64, 40th anniversary celebration. Daz and Bastich B of the Hands-On Gaming Podcast reached out to a bunch of the C64 community for their favorite memories of their beloved home computer, including yours truly. Currently, the episode is released as a podcast, but it's also going to be on Bastich B's 64K YouTube channel. Releasing on May 1st. They're really charming guys, and there's a bunch of really great guests. Um, people that I follow, like David Modalek, um, the guys from the Zapped to the Past podcast, and also um, the gentleman who runs Retro Gamer Nation. He's also going to be on as well. It's really good. Like I said, released May 1st. Check it out on Bastage Bee's 64K YouTube channel. News item number five, Leakia the Lost Island and Leakia Prologue Nathan's Journey. Leakia the Lost Island is an upcoming action RPG from ProtoVision. News of this game is it's been out for a few months now. It's a promising looking um action RPG similar in scope to Zelda. Maybe not it's fully to that scope. So um but Protovision has a release that's a small side quest demo called Leakia Prologue Nathan's Journey. Its purpose is to draw interest into the full release and tease the gameplay of it. So check out the Leakia games for yourself at www.protovision.games. News item number six Strike Back by Sarah Jane Avery gets an early access release. Sarah Jane Avery's goal with Strike Back is to raise proceeds to send to charities within Ukraine. Strike Back is in an early release format with improvements that will be made over time. It's a horizontal scrolling shooter very reminiscent of the arcade classic Scramble. It's available for $3.99 on sarahjaneavery.itch.io. I'm Kevin Nealon and that's news to me. In lieu of our normal C64 hardware guide, I thought we'd cover some incredible sources for finding information and software for our C64s. I need a computer. Our first source is the brilliant Lemon64. It's an information website and community forum whose foundings harken back to 1998 on a small section of Kim Lemon's GeoCities page. In May of 2000, Lemon64 received its very own domain name, and it has quickly become the definitive source for the C64 community. Lemon64's website is a wealth of information, in regards to games, apps, and historical data, featuring game credits, historical advertisements, SID music, and community reviews. Uh, Rather than document every release game, which is nearly impossible, but somehow Gamebase 64 has done so, they've catalogued the most popular and well-known titles, good or bad. There's a curated apps page that includes fast load and utility carts, as well as music and graphics programs. There's a museum page that features historical advertisements, manuals and books and other types of miscellaneous documents. Undoubtedly, my favorite feature of Lemon64 is the forum. It has helped me with Technical issues introduced me to games I've never experienced, and hardware I never knew I needed, like my Gideon's Logic Ultimate 64. Our next source is the incredibly chaotic yet fully featured reserve for games, demos, artwork, music, and everything else under the sun multiple times over again. The Commodore Scene Database, or csdb.dk, is an epic in size and scope website currently featuring just over 200,000 releases as well as 2,000 BBSs. I frequent the site to find cracked and improved games, mainly easy flash versions of my favorite games that eliminate the loading time issues amongst others. csdb.dk, offers numerous trainer versions of just about every game you can think of. These trainers usually in feature invincibility, level skips, and equipment cheats. You could get lost in the releases for the rest of your life and never reach the end. What a wonderful site csdb.dk. Ray Carlson is widely known in the Commodore scene as the godfather of repair and service, and he's sharing his craft An electronics repairman since 1964, Ray retired from the University of Washington, Seattle in 2009 and stopped repairing anything but Commodore 64s and 128s as well as their peripherals. He also makes power supplies for the Amiga 500, 600, 1200, the C64, the C128, the VIC-20, and the Plus 4 series of computers. He's made it his goal to share his knowledge and repair quote-unquote obsolete Commodore hardware as long as he can. It's a must for anyone having issues with their Commodore 64 equipment, and that address is portcommodore.com forward slash Carlson. Also, for those who are having issues with their C64s, the Pictorial C64 Fault Guide is a godsend at pictorial64.com. It aided me in my hardware issues with my C64s over the last 10 or so years. I lost a PLA recently, and I narrowed it down here. It features pictures of the most common signs of having various chip failures, whether it's character ROMs or kernel ROMs, CPUs, SID chips, CIAs. It'll give you kind of an idea what to expect just by looking at the video output of your C64. Again, that's pictorial64.com. A few honorable mentions are YouTube channels Adrian's Digital Basement and Gadget UK 164. They're both great sources for live action C64 repair. CBM8bit.com is a great website for links and also features a very good forum. C64.com is just another source very similar to Lemon64. Vice-A emu.sourceforge.io is the official website and the best C64 emulator on Earth, available for nearly every platform. And now that we've ignored the C64 hardware guide, let's review some games. That's the fact, Jack! That's the fact, Jack! Our first review segment is a karate showdown between two seminal titles, Yi R Kung Fu and International Karate. Though different in practice, one high flying fantasy and the other very traditional, they were both highly regarded in my youth. Now let's throw them in the ring, starting with Yi R Kung Fu. ER Kung Fu was released in the arcades by the iconic Konami between October 1984 in Japan and March 1985 in the rest of the world. The C64 version was ported by David A. Collier and was published by Imagine in the EU and Konami in the US. David A. Collier has credits with Imagine, Ocean, and Mastertronic. Some of his best credits are attributed to Imagine releases, such as Arkanoid, Boot Camp, or Combat School in the EU, Bad Dudes vs. Dragon Ninja, Green Beret, Hypersports, and Target Renegade. Imagine's best titles were programmed by him. Konami's history with the Commodore 64 is best defined as hit or miss, with hits with Boot Camp, Gradius, Life Force, Green Beret, Gyrus, Hypersports, Track and Field, Puyan, and two surprisingly solid arcade conversions in the Simpsons arcade as well as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the arcade game. But then, in my opinion, awful failures in Castlevania, Contra, Jackal, and Metal Gear. The storyline behind Yar Kung Fu follows our character, Oolong, a young martial artist who's seeking to become a grandmaster in the ancient skills, in honor of his father, a grandmaster before him. Oolong will face off against ten martial arts masters of varying styles. Before we get to the cast of characters and some strategies to beat them, we should visit the controls for a quick minute. Without the button pressed, left, right, up, down, up left, and up right, move oolong around the screen. While a down away does a leaping punch and down toward does a face punch. With a button pressed, forward does a roundhouse kick, back a high kick, up a flying kick, down a leg sweep, up forward a rising kick, up back, a lunge punch. Down back, a ground kick. And down forward, an ankle kick. Our first character we fight is Buchu. And he fights hand to hand and has a flying lunge attack. Very similar to E-Honda in the Street Fighter 2 series. He's slower and he's fairly easy to beat with various strategies. I tend to jump around and use a... I tend to corner him and then get him with a leg sweep trap. That's where you basically hold down and tap the button multiple times. When he gets past your trap as he's running away from you, use a flying kick and you can tend to get him on the way out. Use a roundhouse kick or a face punch to block his lunge attack. Star is a female opponent who throws shurikens and has a slightly faster punch and kick attack. Use your jump and leg sweep trap um, to your advantage. You're going to find that that's a really pretty common theme uh, with my strategy, is to use this, this leg sweep trap. Um, she's very quick to retreat, and I find using combinations of the leg, uh, the leg sweep and the ankle kick works really well. Next up is Nuncha. He's a Nunchaku specialist who has a very nice long range attack. It's a singular long range attack. And he also features a distracting nunchuck juggling act. I find that the jump kick is the best defense against him. Not not the the you know hold up and hold the button down and kind of spam that jump kick a controlled approach. So when he approaches, use a single jump kick and then back off and repeat. He'll do his nunchuck juggling and you'll be able to jump kick him and kick him before he does his long range attack. And that leads us to pole and pole is a complete jerk. I hate pole so much. The rest of them outside the final fighter and tun um, Oh, gosh. I mean, like, Pole will trap you and take your life within a few seconds. Um, his attacks are incredibly quick, and he'll trap you with no no chance in getting out. You will spend much of your time fighting Pole and figuring out how to beat him. You'll need to use the trap before he traps you, and you're going to have to be really good at it. You're going to have to have a real good rhythm of doing that sweep kick, but I also find that a roundhouse kick and a ankle kick combo works as well, too. Chain swings a chain that can extend at least a fourth away across the screen. Stay as close as you can, because um, he's not very good with in-close short-range attacks. Careful, though, if you get to that like medium distance not a far distance away the far distance away you won't be able to hit you with this chain but kind of in those mid-range you know maybe a character or two apart his chain attacks can be chained together easily is that a pun intended i don't know but you're gonna find that if you're if you're trying to do the jump kick maneuver with chain he's gonna beat you every time uh it's those chain attacks that get you um Yeah, stay away from those. Pin him, get really close, and do the leg sweep attack. Next up is Club, and Club's range attack works similar to that of Nunchas. He just doesn't have that juggling act. His attacks are less predictable, though. I tend to jump at him... And do the leg sweep trap, but that doesn't always work. In close, though, the ground kick can be really effective. That's the kick where you lay back on the ground and kick straight up in the air. From here, things just get tougher. Your next opponent is Fan. And Fan's first attacks are almost always the same Fan that heads in your direction and does a loop. So you're going to have to dodge it twice. And... When Fan throws her fans, she can throw as many as three, and I've even seen up to six of them right in a row. So you don't want to sit in that mid-range in front of her. I find that ankle and sweep kicks are the, the best combination with uh, roundhouse and jump kicks as she runs away. And, and, and honestly, I've used the spam jump kick on her quite a bit. She's difficult. Next up is Sword, and Sword is very much like Club or Nuncha with great range attacks, but he's much faster than both of them. He's still not very good in close, so I find that the ground kick and ankle kicks and sweep kicks are really the best thing. Um, What's really weird is in most of the opponents, the face punch doesn't work very well, but for some reason, I, I find it works really well with Sword. Next up, we have a character that is similar in frustration to pole and that's ton fan and he kicks my butt almost every time one of his quick attacks is this like small forward stick attack that he can repeat over and over again very similar to how pole will lock you up um so i find that a jump kick Plus, that sweep kick spamming is the only way I've really beaten him. He's really quick, and he's really incredibly accurate with that forward stick attack. Blues is our final opponent. Blues is very similar to you, a basically a karate martial artist with no weapon. And I've only faced him a handful of times. He will sweep kick and high kick trap you over and over, and over again. I think I've only really beat the game like two or three different times, and I usually lose most of my lives with Pole and Tun Fan. And it's, it usually ends up being, if I do make it to Blues, he kicks my butt within seconds. So every once in a while you get lucky, and usually it happens with that sweep-kick trap. Um, it's the only way I've ever beaten him, um. usually you can chain together like four attacks, do some jumps around to get away from him, and then do that same sweep trap again, and usually you can score four of them together. But man, blues is tough. And now that we've covered the history and the mechanics of the game and some tips and tricks how to beat the individual characters, let's review it. On the Commodore Chronicles, we review games in four categories. Graphics, music and sound, gameplay, and then we give it an overall score. Graphically, YIHR Kung Fu is easily the best graphical representation of the original arcade version, whether it's 8-bit home computer ports or the very limited console ports it was released for. It features similarly animated backgrounds and stage introductions of the arcade version. It has smooth and well-animated graphics, and the title screen is a bit gaudy, but overall this game is graphically solid. So I give graphics a solid 4 sweep kicks out of 5. Martin Galway's music for YI Kung Fu is excellent. The opening track is killer, and the introduction tunes are arcade accurate with a little bit of this Commodore 64 SID flair. The attack sounds and energy warning sounds, however, are ear-grating. So I give music a 4.75 out of five, and sound a 3.5 for a combined average of 4.25. Spammy jump kicks out of five. When it comes to gameplay, YI Kung Fu is an arcade blast. The controls are easy to grasp and are tight. It's challenging yet approachable, though it can be kind of spammy. Both for the player and the computer opponents, you'll find that you tend to use a spammy attack (laughs) and (laughs) pin your opponent and they do the same thing to you. And fighting pole in Tonfan is often worth rage quits. Luckily, the extra life system is fairly generous and you'll need them. So I give gameplay a 3.75 unfair pole butt kickings out of 5. Overall, Yar Kung Fu is a Commodore 64 classic. It's one of the first games I played on the C64 and I recommend it all the time. It may have a small handful of faults, but overall, it's still a great game. You're gonna need quick reflexes and a little bit of practice. Overall, I give Yar Kung Fu four Grand Karate Masters out of five. And, that was something completely different. and now, for the second Karate Showdown challenger, International Karate. International Karate was programmed by Archer McLean, developed and released by System 3 in the UK, and licensed by Epix in the US as World Karate Championship. Both titles released in quarter two of 1986. Archer McLean has an interesting programming history. Obviously most famous in the C64 world for International Karate and IK+, He's also the programmer of the brilliant Drop Zone. After programming International Karate Plus, Archer spent the next 10 plus years developing snooker and pool simulations. System 3 has a long history of Commodore 64 development and publishing. They're responsible for the pivotal Last Ninja series. For Myth History in the Making... Vendetta, a game based on The Last Ninja Engine, and Flimbo's Quest. They're also still in business today. Epic's is famously known in the C64 community for such brilliant hits as Impossible Mission, Pit Stop 1 and 2, the game series Summer, Summer 2, Winter, World, and California games, as well as the Street Sports series amongst numerous other classics. Epix merely had the publishing rights in the U.S., but they were sued by Data East for copyright infringement. Data East claimed that World Karate Championship was a mere copy of Karate Champ, citing that the characters wore white and red geese and performed similar moves. Epix won the court case, which is honestly a huge win for the industry. If data east claims were made law, we'd have so much less variety in the market today. We might not have fighting games, hockey games, first-person shooters, tons of tons of games would not make it for this obviously pivotal ruling. So, this lawsuit did, however, have a negative effect on sales in the US. Delay in the production of the game sent buyers into purchasing similar games like Way of the Exploding Fist. Not having much of a storyline, International Karate features one-on-one tournament-style Kumite fighting. That's uh, like a very one-on-one training style. And rather than whittling away at your, your opponent's health, like your Kung Fu or, say, Street Fighter, your goal is to score two points in either half or full point increments, depending on how well you strike your opponent. You'll fight through a traditional karate belt level progression uh, from, you know, like um, brown belt all the way up into, you know, I don't even know the progression, but you'll work your way up to black belt. And as you progress... Your opponents increase in difficulty and skill. And at certain points of your progression, you'll also run into bonus mini games like board breaking and a rhythm-style weapons dodging challenge. Unique feature of the game is that you're not stuck in a stodgy martial arts studio but in eight scenic locations such as Sydney Harbor in Australia, the Statue of Liberty in New York, and under Christ the Redeemer in Rio de Janeiro. Just like the other title YIAR Kung Fu, the joystick controls on international karate are equally as robust. Without the button pressed, left and right move your character, up jumps, down does a sweep kick, up forward a lunge punch, down forward a chest kick, down back a crouch or crotch punch, and up you do uh, up back you do the same front lunge punch, but it'll turn you around and do it behind you, with the button pressed. Forward is a front kick, back a roundhouse, up a jump kick, down back. I'm sorry, down is a back crouch punch that will turn you around as you do it. Up forward is a forward somersault. Up back is a back somersault. Down forward, a front side kick. Down back, a back side kick that will also turn you around. As for strategies, I find... I get further by being conservative in blocking as much as you can and allowing the the enemy to kind of get too close to you and perform stuff like the the forward punch and forward kick as well as jump kicks and sweep kicks. But as you go along and as you progress in belts, you're going to need to change that strategy up. They seem to really adapt to that pretty quickly. And I find within the first, say, three or four belts that 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 strategy can work well but then they start really needing you to dodge their moves and you'll need to perfect the the duck with a sweep kick and also the jump moves as you progress i tend to start like i said i tend to start failing right around four or five belts in Now that we've covered the details of the game and the history of the game and kind of given a brief overview and some strategy for it, let's review it. International Karate is a visual joy from the onset. The landscape backgrounds are stunning, and the animation and movements of the sprites are smooth and detailed. People who say that the C64's color palettes are just shades of brown Maybe they haven't played this. I give graphics 4.5 crotch punches out of five. Ron Hubbard's artistry is all over international karate. It may not be as arcade chipper as Yir Kung Fu, but they are wonderful tunes that progress over time. The sound effects are definitely much more appropriate here as well. The attack and hit sounds are powerful and poignant, so I give sound and music 4.5 broken boards out of 5. International karate's controls are tight, the moves are easy to grasp, and the skill level for entry is fairly little. International Karate is so well-balanced and enjoyable, I can't give it anything short of five jump kicks to the face out of five. International Karate qualifies for that Commodore 64 classic title, just like its competitor, Yiar Kung Fu. Its main competitor, though, Way of the Exploding Fist is similar, but I prefer International Karate. IK Plus was a title that I was suggested to review instead. I think it's brilliant as well, but I tend to find myself coming back to this game more often. And I give International Karate an overall score of 4.75 impossibly fast flying darts out of 5. Malfunction. input. Input, alright, right, you got it. And the winner of the Karate Showdown special is International Karate. I personally chose it as a better game, and so did you. The voting came down to being about 65% of the people voted for International Karate as the better game, and then 35% said that Yar Kung Fu was a better game. And I had a surprising amount of feedback of people telling me to compare International Karate and Way of the Exploding Fist, which to me would be almost almost reviewing the same exact game. It's not that they're directly the same. They just play very, very similar. Um, they're more similar than, say, World Karate Championship or International Karate is to Karate champ. So... Um, thank you so much for your feedback thank you for voting um, I appreciate it greatly and let's review our next title Bernard float over here so I can punch you Hessian is an action platformer Dare I Say Metroidvania released in February 2016 by Covert BitOps and programmed by Las Orne. And music was done by Ali Nimatalo. Covert BitOps and the two programmers are most famous for their Metal Warrior series, as well as Steel Ranger. All titles that use a very similar game engine to this one. Hessian's storyline follows Kim, a low-clearance security guard, working the night shift at her request for the Throne Group Science Complex. One night, she wakes up inside a cargo container that's been converted into a makeshift emergency operating room. All she remembers from the last moments of her consciousness are multiple unknown hostiles firing at the staff and heavy rounds hammering into her chest, and then everything went black. And deep within her conscience, she remembers hearing the words, Massive trauma, need artificial circulation, and prepare the nanobot injection now. After awaking and leaving her room, her doctor gives her a brief introduction to the issues at hand just before being gunned down by an armed flying drone himself. His last words mention an access card you'll need to collect to get to some of your coworkers, And that your newly acquired nanobots need battery power for you to continue living. And that sends you out on your quest. You'll access computers with files in the area and catch up with some other Throne Group employees for your storyline to really unfold. Eventually you'll discover that the enemy is an AI with the intentions of a post-human Earth. This AI has been probing at the Throne Group systems for quite some time now, and been looking for the right time to take over and strike. You'll also learn that these new nanobots you've acquired technically make you a part of the program and also the government's Hessian project, a human enhancement that is currently keeping you alive. But currently you're just running on batteries. If you're going to survive, you're going to either need to continue to find a supply of these batteries or discover what the, th- the, the throne group had in store for a self-powered Hessian. Hessian's map is vast. You'll find yourself in production buildings Parking structures, underground caves, corporate offices, and deep within the most secure areas of the complex, there's over 200 screens to explore. The weapon systems are rather robust as well. You'll be able to fight with knives, nightsticks, pistols, shotguns, sniper laser, and automatic rifles, a neat arm martin minigun, grenade launchers, and even a bazooka. You'll have to keep a ready supply of med kits and batteries on hand as well, and find armor drops throughout the complex. Definitely gonna need all of them because you are going to get shot a lot. The enemies are plentiful and varied. You'll encounter numerous types of drones, sentry bots, androids, and the like, eventually dealing with humans too. The further you progress, the bigger they get as well. And eventually they'll get huge. When robotic enemies are killed, they'll drop parts that you can gather, kinda as a currency for picking up weapons, med kits, batteries, and armor. And now that we've covered the storyline and details of the gameplay, Let's review it. As for graphics, Hessian is a technical masterpiece. It is incredible how smooth everything moves. There's a ton going on, too, yet there's almost no slowdown whatsoever. All the sprites are well animated and look great. The landscape and the building backgrounds are beautifully rendered, and much of it can be interacted with. This game is stunning. I give graphics 5 pesky floating drones out of 5. Hessian features a master class in SID music. Each track uses the oscillation of the SID in its finest degree. And they're wonderfully dark and tense as well. In comparison to the music, the sound effects are Rather plain, but definitely do convey the action quite well. I'll be downloading the soundtrack and listening to it while I work. It is so good. Cheers to Yehar, who's uh, Ali Nematalo, for his brilliant work. Sound and music gets five battery-thirsty nanobots out of five. As for gameplay, Hessian isn't without faults. Players looking for a NES Metroid-style Metroid-esque control system with the ability to seek, you know, perfection in movement and not get hit—they're definitely going to be disappointed. I had mentioned it earlier. You will be shot a lot. There's ways that you can anticipate the enemy's shots and movements, but there's just some enemies you can't avoid. And Programmer Cadaver seems to have accounted for that game mechanic with being able to pick up multiple med kits and batteries, as well as many of the med kits being available, whether found or purchased. Beyond that, Hessian has great action, tight controls, and a save system. And I found that that save system was a godsend because. I didn't have a clue what I was doing for the first hour or so, so that's a little chink in the armor as well. But I give gameplay 4.5 laser blasts out of 5. I had played quite a few of the Metal Warrior series by Covert Bit Ops and found them to not be as polished as I have found Hessian. Hessian is a brilliant example of what all C64 exploratory shooters should be. It's got a well-written story. It's got a bit of mystery. It's got great action and pumping music. And is easily the best game I've ever spent $1.99 on. That's right. Hessian is available on itch.io for just $1.99. It's an absolute steal. Steal. And now that I think of it, I'm going to go buy Steel Ranger as well. Oh, boy. For this review... I'm going to break my normal operating procedures. I don't think this game deserves a perfect score, but I also don't think it just deserves 4.75. So I give Hessian a very brilliant game, just shy of perfect, a 4.9 evil AIs out of (laughs) 5. We've got here is Failure to communicate. In this case, I didn't get any feedback on Hessian. I wonder if that has to do because it's fairly you know, it's fairly new, maybe that it's kind of obscure. Uh, maybe hardly anybody's played it. For $1.99, it is criminal. Absolutely criminal that this game doesn't have more coverage. So for a buck ninety nine you owe it to yourself to, to pick it up. You definitely won't regret it. Well, folks, that's it for the fifth episode of the Commodore Chronicles. Thank you so much for your participation. It's these interactions that really fuel me and helps me record this podcast. So hopefully you'll participate in the next episode where we'll be covering the seminal Impossible Mission as well as the arcade classic conversion, Paperboy. If you want to provide feedback for our next episode, keep an eye out for posts on Twitter.com forward slash C64 Chronicles and Facebook.com forward slash C64 Chronicles. Also, you can contact me and send me feedback via email at CommodoreChronicles.gmail.com. In the meantime, get out there, play your Commodore because it's worth the loading time.